Dear Heavenly Father, once again, we thank you for allowing us to come together to get into your word, to look deeply and intentfully into your word so that we can do what you called us to do. We know that in this season, as the world is going through much turmoil, there is also much deception. And we understand that as believers, it is our calling and our responsibility to study your word, to follow your truth, and to continue to do what you have called us to do. We give you the glory and the honor. In your holy name, Jesus, we pray. Amen. We're actually going to continue what seems to be coming a series on end time deception. And the topic that has been pressed upon me very strongly is salvation. Uh, it is a strong topic. It's a much needed to be discussed topic and is truly a hot topic. Salvation has been actually the hottest topic since there was this thing called I'm going to church. And here's how I know it's the hottest topic. There's not a church out there that says they read the Bible or they preach from the Bible and say they believe in Jesus that does not have what's called an altar call. And it's typically towards the end of the service where someone gets up on the pulpit or from the, behind the podium and says, would you like to dedicate your life to Jesus today? This has been the most consistent topic and discussion throughout nearly every denomination that says they follow Jesus Christ or at least read from the Bible. So we're going to get into the discussion about salvation because the truth is there's some things that's been going on, as we all know, that has nothing to do with the Bible. They're constructed by false preachers, false teachers, workers of iniquity, those who operate on self and not the Savior. And we need to know the truth. Because Christ said, you shall know the truth and the truth shall set you free. Free from deception, free from being taken down a road that we were never supposed to be on. And I want to tell you that when it comes to this altar call, when it comes to being compelled to go down and give your life to Jesus and say what's called the sinner's prayer, I want you to know that that is not found anywhere in the Bible from Genesis to Revelations. There is not a single time after Jesus or his apostles taught of any part of this ministry that they said, would you like to give your life to Jesus? This is self-imposed. This is something that has been used to grow what is really called memberships into different church institutions or denominations. And because of this trend that's been going on for a long time, many people believe that they are saved and don't really understand that they are not saved. And we're going to get into uh, John 
and we're going to listen to what Christ was saying about salvation and what salvation actually looks like. What does it mean according to Jesus? Because if anybody's going to tell us what salvation actually looks like, it should be the one who came to save the world from their sins. So we're going to start off in John chapter 6, verse 22. And it says, On the following day, when the people who were standing on the other side of the sea saw that there was no other boats there except the one which his disciples had entered and that Jesus had not entered the boat with his disciples, but his disciples had gone away alone. However, other boats came from Tiberias near the place where they ate bread after Jesus had gave thanks. When the people therefore saw Jesus was not there nor his disciples, they also got into the boats and came to Capernaum seeking Jesus. And when they found him on the other side of the sea, they said to him, Rabbi, when did you come here? Jesus answered and said unto them in verse 26, most surely I say to you, you seek me not because you saw the signs, but because you ate the loaves and were filled. Do not labor for food which perishes, but for the food that endures to everlasting life, which the Son of Man will give to you, because God the Father has set his seal on him. Now, when you look at this story, Jesus had just fed the multitudes. They didn't have enough. He blessed it and it fed everybody. And as he gets up to leave, the, the, the disciples go. Jesus told them to go get in the boat. He didn't go with them. They looked around and saw he was not there. And Jesus tells them when they finally catch up to him, he says, you didn't, you, you're not searching for me because of what I showed you of who I am. You're searching for me because of what I gave you. You were filled off of perishable things. For a lot of, uh, like I said, church institutions, this is how they draw people into these memberships. They offer these perishable experiences. Sometimes it's free food. Sometimes it's an entertaining event. But Jesus said this that they're working for, they're working, they're putting effort into, they're continuing to be a part of, he said, don't work for that stuff. He said, work for the food that endures to everlasting life. And in verse 28, then they said to him, what shall we do that we may work the works of God? And here's what Jesus says. He answered them. He answered and said unto them, this is the work of God, that you believe in him who sent me. Believe in him who sent me. Powerful statement. Powerful scripture. Because a lot of people today have doubts that God even exists. I've heard people say, you know what, if God is, is truly here, he's a loving God, then why is there so much evil? Why do children get killed? Why does wars happen? All these different things. And because they question God in this aspect and because they fail to read the word of God for themselves, they develop a doubt that he even exists. But Jesus said, this is the work. 
the work that's going to endure to everlasting life. He said, you have to believe in him who sent Jesus. That's the first thing he says. And if you can't believe in God, you're sure not going to believe that God sent his son, Jesus Christ. And you're going to see this right here in John chapter six. Therefore, they said to him, what sign will you perform then that we may see it and believe you? What work will you do? Our fathers ate the manna in the desert as it was written. He gave them bread from heaven to eat. And Jesus said to them, most surely I say to you, Moses did not give you the bread from heaven, but my father gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. So right here, Jesus already throws them for a massive loop. These who say they believe, these are Jews he's talking about. These aren't just anybody. These aren't, you know, Gentiles. He's talking to the Jews, his people, who should believe. They should already have a belief that God is. And the prophecies that spoken of Jesus Christ coming, they should already have that in their head. But he throws them for a massive loop because they're asking for a sign. They want to see something similar to what happened with the Israelites when they came out of Egypt. They were in the wilderness for 40 days and God fed them through manna. And they're looking for something similar to that. But here's the part that just trips me out. They just got it. He blessed the food and he shared it with the multitudes. But because it didn't look like what they heard happened in the past with their fathers, they still couldn't even believe that he was the son of God. So now they want something that looks just like what happened back in the day. And instead of even getting somewhere close to showing them something upon their request, Jesus basically says, I'm the bread of heaven. I'm the one you need to be eating from. And could you imagine that response? They're already thinking, you know, he must be insane. He is flesh for us to eat. It doesn't make any logical sense. And obviously they're speaking from a, a, a logical perspective. And as, again, you're going to see more of this as we continue to read. In verse 34, then they said to him, Lord, give us this bread always. And Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. So they said, Lord, give us this bread. He said, I am the bread. He's still trying to convince them that he is the bread of life and they still don't grab it. He said, he who comes to me shall never hunger. And he who believes in me shall never thirst. He said, but I say to you that you have seen me and yet do not believe. So I want to stop right there and point out a very critical point. Jesus is telling people who saw him, not just saw him, but saw how he fed the multitudes before this dialogue even took place. And they still don't believe. So how much more do we who live in the present time have to believe to actually receive everlasting life? This is why I always talk about the essence the, 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 the truth, the, the meat of salvation, you have to have the Holy Spirit. We haven't seen Jesus. We don't even know specifically what he looks like. 
So a lot of people saying, well, I'm a Christian and I believe, but really? Because these people were the Jews. They should have known that he was the Messiah and they still didn't believe. It says in verse 37, it says, all that the father gives me will come to me. And the one who comes to me, I will by no means cast out. He said, for I have come down from heaven, not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. This is the will of the father who sent me, that all that of all he gives me. I should lose nothing, but should raise up in the last day. And this is the will of him who sent me, that everyone who sees the son and believes in him may have everlasting life. That I will raise him up in the last day. So Jesus actually repeats itself in this dialogue, trying to make it as crystal clear as he can. I am your access to everlasting life. You have to believe in him. No way around it. There's no way to try to, you know, well, I think I believe or, you know, I, I feel like I believe. Now, Jesus said you have to believe. And what does it mean to believe? Well, belief is faith. That's what it is, faith. And James outlines exactly what faith is. And I'm going to skip over to James 2, verse 14. He says, what does it profit, my brethren, if someone says they have faith but does not have works? Faith is works. We can say we believe all day long, but if our faith don't align with what we believe, if our actions don't align with what we believe, then we don't have faith. There's no way to try to manipulate that and twist it. I mean, you can. You can definitely manipulate it. You can spin it around, flip it upside down. But at the end of the day, it's going to be one plus one equals two. You can flip it around how you want to, but you're going to still come out with the same answer. Jesus clearly tells them that he is the access point into everlasting life and that he will raise them up in the last day. The last day, the last time the sun goes up, it comes down. The end of what is called time. For all souls will have to go either to eternal uh Contempt or everlasting life. But we're going to go back a little bit and we're going to look at what is Jesus actually talking about when he says he is the bread from heaven. And that whoever eats will never hunger again, eats of his flesh will never hunger and he who believes in him will never thirst. If you go back and you look at John chapter 1. Verse 14, the Bible clearly tells us what that bread is. It says, the word became flesh and made is dwelling among us. That's it. That flesh he's talking about is the word of God. That's what it all comes down to. Having that word in us, we live according to that word. Everybody in the world is hungry and thirsty. 
And most people are trying to fill that hunger and thirst with everything but God. From drugs to alcohol to sports entertainment, you name it. So many different things are are being used to try to appease the appetite of the soul of a person. But the only way to eat and never be hungry again, to drink and never be thirsty again, is through the word of God. In 1 John chapter 1, verse 1, it says, In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. So he was in the beginning and all things were made through him and, and without him, nothing was made that was made. In him was life and life was the light of man and the light shines in the darkness and the darkness did not comprehend it. The word that we need to have is the word, the flesh that Christ brings to us that we have to eat up all the time and his blood. We have to continually consume that so in the last day we can be raised up we can't just we can't snack on the word our lifestyle has to look like we are just bloated on his truth we are obese on god's word and this is why so many christians now have these false ideas and these false perceptions about who god is and salvation because unfortunately they've been fed artificial truth about God's word. They've been fed artificial bread, stuff that has uh, fillers in it and not the pure word of God. Or they've been snacking on his truth. And now when it's time to go into a fight with the enemy, they're overwhelmed, they're exhausted, they're defeated, and then they reach out to something that wasn't meant for them to consume. And they develop a faith that really isn't faith at all because it doesn't have the works that exemplify what Christ says right here in his word. We're going to go to verse 41. It says, then the Jews complain about him because he said, I am the bread which come down from heaven. They didn't like that. And they said, is not this Jesus, the son of Joseph, whose father and mother we know? How is it then that he says, I have come down from heaven? Listen, I want to tell you guys something. When you finally get to that place, if you haven't got there yet, and you're at that place where you are absolutely 100% certain of who Christ Jesus is, who God is, and the will he has for your life, people will think you crazy. They will think you done lost your mind. And especially the people who say they know you. Because you look at it, Jesus was among the Jews and they said, don't we know this guy and his mama and his daddy? Now, how are you talking about he come from heaven? So when you didn't transform through the grace and mercy of God and you walking in that wheel, people say, I know you. You ain't no Christian. You're not saved. What you, how are you so holy now? I know your daddy and your mama. That's how the enemy operates. We got to make sure that we don't let somebody else's doubt contaminate what we believe. We're going to go to verse 43. And Jesus answered and said to him, don't murmur among yourselves. 
No one can come to me unless the father who sent me draws him and I will raise him up in the last day. So here's the deal. Listen to this. Everybody who says, you know, come on down to church and all these different things, come on to service. Hey, you know, come down to the altar if you want to give your life to Christ. Jesus said, okay, nobody come to me except the Father draws him. And I'm going to tell you this. When Jesus Christ draws you, when God draws you, he will not draw you to a lie. He will not draw you into falsehood. When he draws you in to a relationship with Jesus Christ, it will be according to his truth. So it really makes you think about all the people who flock to these these congregations, these church institutions, especially these new age progressive churches that are just filled with people. And then the pastor says one thing, maybe 10 things, maybe 100 things. If you listen closely, you'll hear them all. But he'll say something that doesn't fit the word. So how can we validly say that God sent me there to get born again, get saved, come into the family of Christ, but the pastor is teaching how he feels about God's word rather than what the word actually says. Deception is extremely powerful and is very prevalent during this time. It is moving and sweeping people right off their feet because they're too lightweight on the word of God. And this is Bible prophecy. This is not something I came up with. I didn't write this. In fact, I was deceived myself for a long time. I went to churches like Bishop Blake's Church, Church of God in Christ, presiding bishop. I went to uh, other church institutions. I've, I listened to T.D. Jakes for a long time. I quoted Joel Osteen. Often, I follow a lot of these people who now today and even back then do not speak strictly from God's word. And you can't tell me that's God. Nowhere in the Bible can you find where somebody was a man of God speaking on God's word, but kind of threw in how they felt about his word just to make sure you felt OK about being in a church. We have to know the truth of God's word or else we're going to get swept off our feet and washed up into lies. I'm so glad that everything happened in 2020. My life. Because at that point, I finally got to see what falsehood really looks like. I've pointed some things out over the years. I've battled with some issues. But when I saw the people who I followed behind, believing that they were speaking God's truth, close their churches and then open them back up in accordance to how the world operates and didn't repent. Oh, God allowed my eyes to be wide open. But as I said, this is prophecy being fulfilled because Paul spoke of this in Second Timothy chapter two, verse three. He said, for a time. Will come 
when they will not endure sound doctrine, but according to their own desires, because they have itching ears, they will heap up for themselves teachers. And it says, and they will turn their ears from the truth and be turned aside to fables, to myths, to fairy tales. One of the silliest fairy tales I've ever heard in my life was just this week. That you can actually come into the faith, receive salvation, but doubt that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. If the, if the devil ain't throwing out shenanigans this season, I don't know. I have, I have never heard that one before. You can still say you believe in Jesus. You can be born again. You can be saved. And one day you'll be in the presence of God. Happy because he said, well done. But yet you doubted who Jesus Christ is, what he came to do. I, I I can't find that nowhere in the Bible. I can't find something that even comes close to it. That's a complete lie. But thousands, maybe hundreds of thousands of people have accepted that to be true. And the, and the biggest issue is because one, obviously they don't have the Holy Spirit because the Holy Spirit will not lead you into anything confusing. And two, people refuse to read the Bible for themselves. Period. And Satan has done exactly what he's supposed to do and blinded the people who refuse to love the truth and be saved. So when it comes to salvation, to entering into everlasting life, it, it starts with God drawing us to Christ Jesus, to salvation. It doesn't say in here, Christ never told us that he who comes to me is automatically saved. He who comes to me and says the name of Jesus, then I'm you're done. That's it. You won. You're in. You're in the family. That's a wrap. Nothing else to do. Big mistake to believe that. Big mistake. And this is and this is the result of, like I said, disobedience. And when you look at Romans 8. 14, it says, for as many as are led by the Spirit of God are the sons of God or the children of God, led by the Spirit. So what happened to, well, you know, I, I think Jesus is the Son of God, but I'm, I, I believe, but I doubt. I believe, but I doubt. Doubt and belief don't exist cannot exist, cannot function, cannot operate in the same space. It can't. This is why Paul writes in Hebrews eleven six. he says, but without faith, it's impossible to please him. For he who comes to God must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. He said it is impossible to please God without faith. And if you want a real good example of what happens when you try to mix doubt and faith together, look at the life of Peter. When Jesus Christ showed up walking on the water, 
They were absolutely terrified. The Bible says they cried out. It was a ghost. And Jesus said, no, take heart. It's me. And Peter said, well, if that's you, call me and I'm coming. And here goes Peter walking on water because Jesus said, come on out here. And then Peter got into a situation like most, like everyone will, if you haven't already, he got into a situation and that situation tests where his mind and heart really was. The circumstances rose up around him, the negative, the bad, the potentially destructive situations rose up and that faith immediately turned into doubt. And as it turned into doubt, the Bible says he began to sink. So that is just one and one of the greatest examples of the Bible of how faith and doubt can't be in the same place at the same time when it comes to a believer. So we're asking God to save us. So we're saying I'm coming into this faith and I believe you got saved or I got saved or all these different statements we make. But then we have doubt that Christ is who the Bible says he is, who the apostle says he is. And according to the scripture, we're not saved. We can't doubt. But I tell you, people believe that as strongly as they believe when they when they see themselves in the mirror. And that's where you know you've been deceived. We have to know the word of God. And above all things, we have to have the spirit of God. Because let me tell you, the word of God is not enough. His word alone is not enough. If it was, then Jesus Christ would have never sent the Holy Spirit. He would have closed the chapter when he went to heaven and left everybody with the Bible. But he sent the Holy Spirit to not only uh, comfort you, but also teach you and show you and remind you of what he spoke of. And after he teaches you, he shows you, he reminds you. Then he empowers you to walk out the will that comes after you receive salvation. There's a purpose of the Holy Spirit as it relates to the word of God. And Satan has done a extremely extraordinary work of making sure churches do not talk about these church institutions, institutions do not talk about the Holy Spirit. Because he knows that man without God is worthless. He knows that. How does he know it? Let's get back to the Garden of Eden. As soon as God left the garden, here come the serpent. And everything God had already instructed them, just like that, they failed to do and lost all that goodness, just like that. He knows that when we are not in the presence of God, we are bound to be defeated. So he twisted up and he flip it and he turned it around and he says, hey, here's how you get into the presence of God. You go to church on Sunday. 
Well, show me where that is in the New Testament scripture. You ain't going to find it anywhere. Because the Bible says that the Holy Spirit dwells in the temple of the believer. And the Holy Spirit is what we need to remain in the presence of God. So we can do his will. I mean, you got to look at the life of the apostles. I mean, they they really broke it down for us. And even the Jews, they saw Christ do these miraculous things. They heard him preach. They were there. Many of them touched him and was healed. But when it came to understanding that he is the bread of life, he is the way to everlasting life. When it came down to the disciples standing on what they believe, Peter said, you are the Christ. He said that. He said, you are the Christ. But when it came time for him to tell other people that I don't know him. Three times I don't know him. And if it wasn't for sending the Holy Ghost. To earth. Peter would have went to hell. And everybody else who say they believe will go to hell if they don't have the Holy Spirit. Because Jesus said, you have to believe on me. I am the bread. I give you everlasting life. Well, Peter, at that time, under those circumstances, that conflict decided to deny Jesus Christ. So good thing that he didn't leave us stuck with trying to do it ourselves, trying to believe in Jesus, believe that he is the son of God, the bread of heaven. On our own, because we would have never made it happen. It would have never taken place. And Jesus keeps on explaining himself in John chapter six. He keeps on giving them the same truth. And it becomes a very difficult thing for disciples who claim to follow him. In verse 60, he says, Therefore, many of his disciples, when they heard this, said, this is a hard saying. Who can understand it? When Jesus knew in himself that his disciples complained about this, he said to them, does this offend you? What then if you should see the son of man ascend where he was before? It is the spirit who gives life and flesh profited nothing. The words I speak to you are spirit and they are life. But there are some of you who do not believe. For Jesus knew from the beginning who they were, who did not believe and who would betray him. And he said, therefore, I have said to you that no one can come to me unless it is it has been granted to him by my father. So that right there, verse 56, destroys every lying, satanic worker of iniquity who calls themselves a pastor, a pope, preacher, deacon, or elder who tries to tell someone, well, they just got, you just got saved. You just got born again today. Your, even your sins are forgiven. No one can tell someone that the grant to be granted, to be given this 
opportunity to come to Christ only comes through God in heaven, the Father, and that's it. You know, I was talking to my mother, I believe it was yesterday, and I was telling her about all these different uh, lies that Satan has been throwing at people, and they've been eating it up like it's an awesome meal. And I told her, if you, if we take the time, who really want to know? Us who really want to know? Because other people, you know, it's like it's, it's just cool to go to church and hang out with my, I'm in this club, you know, I belong to this and here's my pastor. But for those us who really want to know, for us who really want to dig into the truth, if you take the Bible and you pull out scriptures and you match them up with the things that actually happens in churches, in different institutions, you will find out that almost all of it does not relate to the Bible, particularly during the ministry of Christ and after with his apostles. From tithing to salvation. I mean, I remember going to a church growing up and the pastor would say, all tithers stand. And everybody else who didn't tithe didn't get a chance to stand up. So, so how do those people feel who didn't get to stand because Maybe they didn't understand tithing. Maybe they didn't have anything to tithe. You know, how, how did they, how do, how do you think they feel? That is absolute confusion. But the Bible tells us clearly that God is not the author of confusion, but of peace among the all, all, all the saints. So if you got one group of people in the church that's getting the best attention, or that special prayer because they tithe and the other people who can't for whatever reason there's reasons there may be that's not peace and i can tell you there were times i went to church and i wanted to tithe because i i want to stand up like everybody else i feel like hey that'd be a great prayer to pray over me a special prayer from the bishop falsehood nowhere you can find that in the bible but at the end of the day if we are led astray and we are deceived and we miss the opportunity to enter into the rest of Jesus Christ on the last day, that's our fault. Nobody else's. Because he gave us his word. He gave us the Holy Spirit. To be able to decipher truth from falsehood. And when we decipher the truth, it's not enough just to say, well, I see the truth and I see the lie. It's not enough to say that. We also have to separate ourselves from the lie and contend with the truth, the faith. We have to fight for that faith. And our life should be a reflection of what we say we believe. Faith is works. So much so that Jesus said it more than once and the apostles also said it too. He said, let no one deceive you. You know, I was on uh, Facebook the other day and I had shared this pastor, Fronick, or I can't pronounce the guy's name, but very popular pastor out there who made a statement and said he had to correct someone in his ministry for saying this, telling people the, the sinner's prayer but in the process of the sinner's prayer, he told them 
told the pastor, you're not allowed. Don't ever tell someone that they believe that Jesus Christ is the Savior of the world and the Son of God without a doubt. And he said, no one can say that without a doubt. That you should, everyone should have some kind of doubt in their mind that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. Well, let me tell you this. One, that is an absolute lie. And two, if you have doubt that Jesus Christ is the Son of God and Savior of this world, uh, then I want to tell you, God didn't draw you to him. Someone else did. And it wasn't God, because God's not going to draw you to confusion. He's not going to draw you to doubt. He's going to draw you to faith. And he's going to show you that through your life. And that's why it's so important. I believe that I believe that a, a person that comes into this face, the first thing they should receive is baptism in the Holy Spirit. Because without the Holy Spirit, how else can you understand the word of God? How else can you receive the Holy Spirit? How can you receive the truth if you don't have the Holy Spirit? People skip all the way over the baptism. They even go to seminary school. They do all these different things and don't even have the Spirit of God leading them. So they're on this long journey of trying to find God, and all the while, His Spirit was right there to make His Word known, true, and relevant in their life. Salvation begins with belief through being drawn to Christ by God in heaven. God has to grant it to you. That's a powerful statement. That is a powerful statement. And like I said, take that statement and match it up with what we have seen for decades in churches, church institutions, where at the end of every service, there is this ritual of the sinner's prayer come down to the altar if you want to give your life to Jesus Christ. You know, I was actually looking into this and, and doing some, you know, some other research into this sinner's prayer. And they're saying there were several scriptures that help validate why they do the sinner's prayer. Though it's not written in the Bible, there's scriptures that validate it. Well, if that's the case, I can validate a lot of things that I want to do with the scripture. I can I can find a scripture in there to justify every single thing I want to do. And I'm sure we all can uh, uh, look at how one of the biggest things is grace. As I was pointing out the falsehood of this preacher and how a lot of people were defending this man and not the word of God, people were saying, well, give the man some grace. Took a, the, the scripture, took the word of God to justify their physical, fleshly desire to stand for this man and not on the word of God. And Paul, Jude, James, and Christ told us clearly what to do about false teachers, false preachers, false apostles. But many don't want to contend for the faith because. They're not in the faith. Period. As it says, those who are led by the Spirit of God are the children of God. And God doesn't lead you to agree. His Spirit does not lead you to 
coincide and condone falsehood. We all can say Jesus as much as we want. Every Sunday, every Wednesday, in the morning and at night, all throughout the day, we can call him. We can profess over and over again that he's the son of God, that he came to save man from their sins, that he is the, he is the, the only one. But until we do the will of the Father, we are not getting into heaven. So like Christ said, do not be deceived. I was upset. You, If you know me, you're close to me, my wife would tell you, I was upset in 2022. And it wasn't at the preachers who closed their doors. It wasn't at the ones who opened back up and said, follow these ungodly, anti-God mandates. I was upset with myself because I chose to follow preachers and not the Savior. I took their word for it and not God's word for it. And I thought, what if this was the time? This was it. What if this was when Jesus said, they shall be saying peace and safety and suddenly destruction fall upon them? And I missed the opportunity to be saved because I was more motivated, inspired, happy, thrilled, emotionally moved rather than truly transformed. So I told myself, never again. I'm not going to get caught slipping like that. I, I don't want to go through what's coming on this earth all because, oh, that was some awesome, that was some awesome stuff the pastor said. Oh, that was cool. I like that. But none of it actually lined up with the word of God. I felt good. Had some nice background music to it. They had some pretty cool workout clips with it. I was motivated. Was I walking out the will of the Father? So know that salvation goes far beyond saying that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. You can't earn it. Paul was right. You cannot earn it. It is a gift. But a gift can always be taken if it's not used correctly. And that one verse that just terrifies people don't want to hear it. Revelations 3, 5. If anything should sit at the front of our mind as a believer is Revelation 3, 5. He who overcomes, I will not blot out his name from the book of life. But I will clothe him with white garments and I will confess his name before my father in heaven and his angels. Important important, critical, critical scripture. Jesus said, he who endures to the end shall be saved. Not he who says, well, I believe. Now let me just go do what I feel like doing. Do what I want to do. Because I got my golden ticket. I did, my, I did the part that they said do. They said go down there and say, Jesus, 
I said I, I went down there, you know, I turned my life over to him. That's what the pastor told me to do. So I'm good now. Don't be deceived. Let's read his word. Let's stand his word. Let's stand on his word. Because if the Jews couldn't get it, if it wasn't until the disciples received the Holy Spirit until so they got it, oh yeah, we who never saw Christ, us who haven't even been to Jerusalem, we ain't been to Judea, some of us haven't even left our communities. Better believe we need that Holy Ghost. You better believe we need it if we want to make it. Thank you, Lord, for this day. Thank you for keeping me. Thank you for blessing me. Thank you for blessing all who listen, all who are willing to do, all who are willing to stand against the workers of inequity. You are the only truth that exists. Salvation is made only through you by leadership of the Holy Spirit. We know that the lies of the enemy has already been defeated. We give you the glory and the honor and all the praise. In your holy name, Jesus, we pray. Amen.